This is Lauren DeYoung-Shulman, Deputy Director of Studies at the Center for a New American Security. This week, the Trump administration released its national security strategy, and I'll be talking with researchers and experts at CNAS about how the strategy was developed, how it will be implemented, what our allies and partners think about it, and whether it will mean anything in reality. Typically, national security strategies haven't gotten much real attention since the Bush administration's 2002 NSS made headlines with its new doctrine on preemptive war. This year may be different. Given President Trump's self-described penchant for disrupting America's traditional approach to foreign policy, the administration's struggle for coherence across the National Security Council, and its laxity in filling key positions, interest in this document is naturally high. But the process leading up to and following the NSS's publication may actually be more consequential than much of its substance. Ideally, the development of a national security strategy would serve as a genuine conversation among the administration's senior leaders. Taking stock of core objectives and establishing a common vocabulary and risk tolerance amongst those charged with executing it. Once complete, it should be the forum for making policy throughout the administration, and agencies would be tasked with action plans for implementing its key provisions. It should be linked with budgets and resource decisions and briefed to key stakeholders on the Hill and overseas and bring coherence to the set of administration actors not necessarily known for their message discipline. Finally, it should send a key signals to allies and adversaries about American intentions. But we'll see. The president could upend the NSS's careful wording with a well-aimed tweet or even an announcement that isn't quite aligned with the words in the strategy itself. Gaps between expression and practice could endure on key foreign policy issues, as they have over the last year, could produce a backlash amongst those who see it as untrumpian and not that reflective of the president, or true to Trumpian, and a result, a, a source of great controversy. Or it might simply be ignored, a typical result for strategies. And at the outset, it's really impossible to tell what the fate of the Trump administration's first NSS will be. It's worth noting that this is the first time in a while that the president himself has actually rolled out the strategy, and it's one of the longer documents that we've had in the last few decades. But this next phase, the document's interpretation, its implementation, and its continued relevance will be far more important than the words themselves. I'm here with Jerry Hendricks, the Director for Defense Strategies and Assessments at the Center for New American Security. And Jerry just got back from watching the president roll out the national security strategy. So since you were in the audience right up front, what were your first impressions? Well, it was pretty impressive to have the President of the United States himself participate in the rollout of the document. This has not happened before. Uh, also, to have the document come out literally within the first 12 months of the administration, which is actually what it's supposed to do, but it's been very difficult for the previous administrations, going back even to Reagan, to be able to get a document out in, in fairly quick order, just due to the complexity of, of, the, of the time. But President Trump brought in really a, a, a Class A team, uh, very clear, H.R. McMaster, uh, uh, Dina Powell, as well as Nadia Shadlow. You could see their influence in the document itself. The document is coherent. Uh, in its presentation. I think it, it's, uh, it, it holds up well. Uh, the president's speech, of course, had a difference in emphasis. Uh, the document sort of by H.R. Uh, McMaster, the, the president's speech is, is Trump. 
uh, and so how he chose to emphasize or present things. But I thought he was very disciplined. Again, it was a teleprompter speech, uh, so he was on message, uh, not a whole lot of divergence, largely to an audience made up of national security professionals, the entire national security cabinet was in the room, so Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, the Director of National Intelligence, the Joint Chiefs of Staff were virtually all present, uh, including leading members of the Congress. So the assembly was great. The, the message was there, and, and I walked away uh, favorably impressed uh, with, with the, his comments throughout. So if you had to give a bumper sticker of what's new or what's changing based on this national security strategy, what would it be? Well, I think the thing that struck me was that as opposed to really the last uh, 16 years or so, he called out uh, the two peer competitor nations by name, and he called them competitors. And he said that we are in a new era of great power competition, and he made it clear that he, he you know, didn't regard them necessarily as enemies, but he wasn't going to cut them much slack. So he called out Russia. Um, he called out China. And in fact, both of them were mentioned by name over 20 times in the document, did a sort of a, a, a word search uh, to take a look what he was emphasizing. So those are really in the top five of, of items called out within the document. So it's very clear he's looking at Russia. He called out Russia uh, for their information warfare uh, in the document. I, I thought that was great. Uh, and of course, looking at China on both trade uh, practices as well as the military. So I think the bumper sticker here is that we're back into an era of great power competition and we recognize it. You mentioned that the Joint Chiefs are in the audience, and also I've seen that uh, several service members were also in the audience. How should the Department of Defense hear this new strategy? What's uh, new and different for them in terms of should they expect a larger budget? Should they be looking to grow their capacity? What's the big takeaway? That's a great question because what's interesting is in the third pillar of the document in reading through it, um, there's a discussion about the concept of capabilities versus capacity. And of course, in recent years, we've really been emphasizing capabilities and the need to make investments in R&D in order to regain sort of a strategic technological edge. It's very clear within the document that the president is, uh, is emphasizing a balance between capabilities and capacity, that in fact, we do need to grow the force, we need to spend more on defense, and we need to do that so that we can afford essentially to do both, to have an investment in high-end capabilities in R&D while at the same time growing the capacity in the force, the overall size of the force. And you can really sense General McMaster's hand in here for those of us who have been around him in the past and listened to him in person talk about the need for uh, growing the size of the Army. But I'm also an advocate for growing the size of the Navy. So I was hearing all the right things in this. And so I think that's the way that DOD is going to hear it. I'll tell you another thing that was interesting is calling out space. Uh, this is an area that's particularly interest to us in the Defense Strategies and Assessments Program that space is a competitive national security domain. And so within the document and, and the president himself in his speech, he's calling out that, look, there is a competition in space between the great powers, and we need to be ready to compete and defend our interests there. So last question. So this is, uh, it's great that the new administration has put together a coherent message for themselves in national security, but absent implementation, it's more just words on a coffee table book. Uh, when the budget goes to the Hill next year, what would you expect to see if the administration has taken seriously the strategy and really put it uh, into the budget for the fiscal year 19? I would expect to see something close to $700 billion between 
the baseline as well as any calls for OCO. Right, for the defense budget. Yeah, yeah, for the defense budget. And I would hope actually to see less in OCO and more in defense. So I think we need to have a straight up conversation about the level of funding and we need to be real about that number and then work hard with the armed services committees of both the House and the Senate as well as appropriation ways and means and budget. Uh, so if, if that's, that's what I would expect to see based upon what he said, and that's what I hope to see. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So one of the main focuses that uh, administrations have for the national security strategy is how our allies and partners throughout the world will react to it, what they will read into some of the language they included, and also what they will read into some of the missing pieces from that strategy and changes from the prior administration. So I'm here with Alan Goldenberg, who is the director of our Middle East program here at CNAS. And I was curious, first, if you could give a sense of, is there any reaction from the Middle East for the Trump administration's national security strategy? Well, I think um, reality is reaction has not been much. Uh, and this is relatively predictable for the Middle East. The Middle East is a region where most of these countries don't have large national security bureaucracies uh, that support their leadership. It really is a, number, a small group of individuals in most of these cases making decisions at the top. And that often means uh, having more personal relationships and those are the types of things they care about. So what they've been watching much more than the national security strategy is the president's visit to the region, for example, earlier this year, his personal emphasis on Iran, which is in the national security strategy. Right now, I, I would argue they're probably much more focused on his decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital than they are on anything in, in the strategy document altogether. And this is it's just a bit of a way of just different way that foreign policy is conducted there than, let's say, in a in a place like Europe or Asia where you have these much bigger foreign policy systems supporting the leadership, which is how we do it here in the U.S., um, I think Middle Eastern governance is a little more informal in many ways, and so you don't have those types of systems that are going to react to a document like this. Interesting. So, uh, but regardless of that, you can still probably read the document to see what hints of the Trump approach to the Middle East will be going forward. I mean, they've obviously made a lot of policy changes this year. But what did you see as the big differences between the Obama administration's approach to the Middle East and what the Trump has laid out in their strategy? Sure. So I think maybe the biggest one is the centering focus on Iran, uh, which much more so, I think, than you saw from the Obama administration, and much more focus on treating Iran as an adversary. Now, this isn't surprising. This is, you know, the president went to Riyadh in May uh, and gave a big speech on American policy in the Middle East. And and nothing has really changed significantly since then. Um, they also focused a lot on the idea that you know Iran and the threat posed by Iran could create opportunities for Israelis and some of the Arab states to work more closely together. That was something the Obama administration, I think, also believed in, but was more skeptical you can ever really make progress on unless you made progress on the Palestinian issue. Trump administration seems to be putting more eggs in that basket, which you know, is a, is a basket worth pursuing, uh, we'll just see how it actually works out. It's difficult. The other thing they 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 emphasized again was working with our much more with our traditional partners, especially the Gulf states. The unity of the Gulf states working together against Iran and against extremism. This is interesting, especially given that there's a major crisis right now between uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE on one hand, and and Qatar on the other hand, uh, which I thought just wasn't even acknowledged in the document, and I thought was a little bit odd. So. You know, my overall take is uh, nothing that surprising towards the Middle East. Let's focus on Iran. Let's focus on extremism. Uh, and and let's take a much harder line on that. Let's not prioritize the, the, the Iran nuclear agreement as much. That's 
all things that the administration has already been doing and signaling in the last year. So you wrote a piece yesterday on whether or not the national security strategy even matters. And you've kind of already made up that point for whether or not it's going to have impact in the Middle East. But what's your, your broad broader take on is, does this actually matter in reality? Well, I'm very skeptical um, because I think the reality is, well, at least you've seen in the Middle East, and I think you see it elsewhere too, is you know the president will task his staff to go out and work on a very serious long-term strategy, whether it's on Iran or Israel, Palestine, and they'll actually develop, I think they'll run in some cases, you know, reasonably or good processes. The, the policy conclusions they come to might be different than mine. Uh, but that's fine. It's still a thoughtful process. But then the president inserts himself in the middle and sort of presses this big red button, whether it's, no, I won't certify Iranian compliance with a nuclear agreement, or I'm going to recognize the capital of, you know, the capital of Israel is Jerusalem, and just explodes the entire thing. Uh, it makes it really hard to have any kind of a strategy uh, in that kind of environment where so much is determined by, a, by the whims of a president who's looking at his domestic politics and personal issues and other things. And so, you know, I, you know, in the piece, I sort of said you have this, you know, really thoughtful group of people working on these types of documents, and then they tee it up to essentially a Tasmanian devil to like try and figure out. Uh, you know, okay, boss, now you make the big decisions and set the guidance. It, it, it's just never going to work. So. so with a national security strategy as a tornado take, thank you to Alain. <laughs> Thanks. The national security strategy will be perceived very differently in another region of the world. I'm here now with Dan Kleiman, a senior fellow in the Asia-Pacific Security Program here at CNAS, here to talk about how the, the Trump administration's national security strategy will be seen in Asia. So one of the biggest takeaways I had in reading it, Dan, was the characterization of this new era of great power competition, and particularly this discussion of China, um, as well as Russia, as a peer competitor, uh, if not said that way directly, but implied in many ways throughout the document. I'm curious about what's the reaction to that? Is that really a major change in the Trump administration's policy, or is this just kind of more of the same with a different set of words? Thanks for having me here today, Lauren. There'll be a, a number of reactions in the region. Certainly U.S. allies like Japan uh, and partners like Taiwan that are keenly aware and concerned about the growth of China's military capabilities and overall influence will probably have a, at least initially a positive reaction. Uh, other U.S. allies and partners, for example, those in Southeast Asia who privately worry about the growth of Chinese influence but publicly do not like to discuss uh, their concerns about China, may have some hesitations about the language. I think, though, the overarching question in the region will be, to, to what extent will the language on China as a great power competitor actually play out in the administration's approach? Um, that remains to be seen. And we actually saw this yesterday as the president gave his speech, in which uh, the the language he used in the speech was about you know this this era of great power competition but uh china and others will be seen more as partners who we will you know engage with on a number of different large-scale problems which is in somewhat of a contrast to how this is discussed in the strategy itself and i my sense is that president trump has wavered a bit in his characterization of china from his campaign to his policy now going from uh, being somebody who saw China as more of an economic competitor that needs to be punished in some ways to possibly more of a, if not a, you know, great partner than somebody that he's willing to work with. What is your sense of that transition? So there were definitely hooks in the national security strategy document that talked about 
cooperation with China. To be clear, uh, it didn't sort of throw out the possibility in, entirely. Uh, I think what we saw in the speech is what plays out in every administration, which is the tension between um, the need to or perceived need to cooperate with China on transnational issues or regional issues like North Korea, and then tensions regarding China's trade practices or um, relations with its neighbors and use of coercion to settle territorial disputes. Uh, what will be, I think, telling is to see if, if China makes no real move on North Korea. That seems to be the main card in play right now, why the administration might not move forward with a much more competitive posture, at least publicly. Uh, if China is unable to deliver, I, I think you could see a pretty sharp change. Uh, to me, what, what the national security strategy shows is at least below the president, uh, his senior staff are pretty uniformed in their views of China as a, an economic threat, uh, as well as a military competitor. So people will look back at the Bush administration's 2002 national security strategy as being the document that laid out the uh, doctrine of um, preemptive war. And there was not, there wasn't anything new that I read in this national security strategy that had a, a similar uh, new doctrine for the Trump administration. That being said, I think that a lot of folks are looking to this to get hints about how the Trump administration wants to approach North Korea, which you mentioned. What did you read in the strategy that regard, regarding North Korea, or do you think it was just addressed so generically it was hard to tell? The document didn't break new ground, in my view, on North Korea. It essentially re reiterated the administration's current position. Uh, for me, the, the key Asia piece was really China, um, which was a, a marked departure from the Obama administration, which at least publicly uh, liked to frame our relationship with China as mostly cooperative. Of course, there were competitive elements. Uh, in this case, the NSS essentially reversed and emphasized competition. So I would say no, not a lot of news on the North Korea side, definitely on China. Uh, We'll see. I mean, it's it's unclear whether the administration will be able to kind of sustain a competitive focus on China. Many administrations have tried and failed. Uh, if they do, I think we'll look back and say that this was kind of one of the, the key uh, turning points uh, or major changes in the document from the past. So that leads to my last question, which is, the, you know, the president will release his budget in early February for fiscal year 19. This is the first real budget he's put together under his administration that has had the, you know, the full benefit of developing his new strategy and his policy agenda. Um, what do you expect to see in that budget or in policy implementation over the next year that would demonstrate the Trump administration is serious about implementing this strategy? I think there will be a real tension between the president's budgetary priorities, as we currently understand them, and the strategy. Uh, on the military side, this won't exist. Uh, there'll be obviously ample and probably growing funds for the Department of Defense. How those funds are allocated, of course, remains in question. Uh, but certainly there'll be funds to uh, support the U.S. military advantage, which the uh, NSS certainly emphasizes in great detail. The real question to me is on the both diplomatic and development side, that when it comes to competing with China, the United States can't simply compete in the military domain. China is playing across the diplomatic space, the development space. And if the president uh, enacts steep budget cuts, uh, for whether it's for the State Department or for USAID, uh, agencies like the Export-Import Bank, um, that will make it much more difficult to realize the strategy. So what will be, I, I think, telling is whether kind of there's a reverse course on the budget and more funds, or at least not the steep cuts that we've seen proposed, or, or whether sort of that continues regardless. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you. National security expert Elliot Cohen says that strategy is the art of choice that binds means with objectives. 
involves priorities. We will devote our resources here, even if it means starving operations there. It involves sequencing. We will do this first and then that. And it involves a theory of victory. We will succeed for the following reasons. But national security strategies usually have no resemblance to that dynamic. He says that they're usually long on adjectives and adverbs and short on concrete nouns, numbers, and verbs. It sets dead, no deadlines, outlines almost no actions, and is divorced from budget numbers. But they're still useful exercises. They get people in the room to talk about what matters to an administration on national security. Once it's done, once it's printed and released and the president or somebody else makes a speech, it's entirely up to them whether or not that strategy is going to matter in some way. Strategies aren't law, even when the president releases them. The administration has to make that definitive choice to link them to their budgets, to their policy initiatives, to their outreach to the Hill and allies and partners, and into their own language of how they address national security challenges. So we study the number of times certain words appear in these strategies. And for example, terrorist appears 53 times and nuclear 54, human rights and it was only mentioned once and climate change hardly at all. But whether or not that matters on the policy initiatives of the Trump administration is completely up to them. This document could be the thing that we talked about for a few days and moved on, or it could be the thing that we come back to over and over again to understand how it was that the Trump administration and its access of adults, or however you want to call the National Security Council, decided to frame their national security policy for the remaining three years in office. When Congress issued the Goldwater-Nichols Act in the late 1980s, they probably didn't assume we would be doing word counts or comparing speeches to printed documents or obsessing over small, minute details of the national security strategy. But instead, to use this as the beginning of a conversation about America's role in the world instead of at the end of one, when the, once the printed document is released. The first real test of this will be the first week of February when the Trump administration releases its fiscal year 2019 budget. But you should look for the national security strategy in any future engagement, whether it be a bilateral call with a foreign counterpart or with the release of a new counterterrorism strategy or with how the United States shapes its engagements overseas in Somalia, Niger, in Syria, Iraq, or Afghanistan, or how it approaches the problem of North Korea. If you see the national security strategy there, you know the Trump administration's done something right. If not, you'll know it's just another document to take up space on the coffee table in your living room. I'm Lauren DeYoung Shulman. This was the Center for New American Securities assessment of the national security strategy released in 2017.